0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 to 45. There are things, skills, that we learn as children, which we sometimes neglect when we're older, right? Things that we probably should cultivate throughout our life, but we let them lapse. For example, I remember in high school, learning to, for a week, we had to keep a food journal, trying to teach us how to eat healthy and uh, make sure we're getting all the food groups, right? That would have been a a good skill to cultivate. Throughout my life, I didn't. Um, Later on then, when we are adults, we sometimes go back and have to relearn those skills that we learned as children. One of the skills that most of us learned as children was prayer. But how many of us continue faithfully in that throughout our life, growing in our ability and learning how to become better and better and take time out of our day to spend it with our Father. There are many many places in Scripture that encourage us strongly to uh, good active prayer life Paul says to pray without ceasing and pray always and Jesus of course reminds us more than once ask and it will be given we have the parable of the unjust judge and uh, the parable of the neighbor who wouldn't stop knocking at the door parables with, with with which Jesus both reminds us to pray constantly and yet so many of us fall so far short of the scriptural example, we're given. I remember in Chennai when we lived in Chennai, there was a cave there that St. Thomas used to use uh, for praying um, more than an hour a day, a very often and very vigorous prayer life. And in our text this morning too, we see Jesus giving us an example of prayer, what it can be and even what it should be, and a reminder how far short of the ideal most of us have fallen. As I mentioned before, Lent is a time of repentance, a time to remember to return to the Lord, and so our sermon and our readings this morning focus on that, returning to the Lord through prayer and through this example that Christ gives us. Verses 36 and 37. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Prayer is a thing that is both very personal, very private, and And at the same time, ought to be communal as well. A chance to fellowship with one another. You notice that Jesus goes by Himself, but He also brings the disciples with Him. Some He brings into the garden. Some He brings a little further. And then he goes off a little ways by himself. He is very distressed. He has something very personal he needs to talk to the Father about. But at the same time, he recognizes the opportunity for comfort and fellowship with his disciples as well as an opportunity to teach them and show them what a blessing prayer can be. Prayer ought to be in our life as well, both private at some times and a chance to fellowship at other times as well. It's so important for families uh, to take time to pray together. It's through that coming before God's throne, that fellowship before Christ, that families often grow together. And not only as families, but uh, as husband and wife, spouses, to take the time out of their day to, to pray together. Many, many people have pointed out that praying together as a married couple, as spouses, as husband and wife, is one of the simplest and most effective ways to improve your marriage and grow together. It's because it's so personal and it's because we're, we're coming before God's throne and before Christ that it's such a useful tool for families and also for spouses to, to learn to understand and appreciate one another and to receive that blessing that Christ gives through one another. Above all, however, prayer is a time to fellowship with Christ, isn't it? A time to, to come together with Him and to receive the comfort and the strength that we need for this life. It's a time to return to the Lord, to make a daily return to the Lord after the stresses and difficulties of our life, to, to come back before Him and to fellowship with Him. Jesus brought His disciples with them and in doing so encouraged them to return to the gift that prayer is and to the Lord. Verses 38-39. to 39. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And then he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Prayer is a time of honesty and transparency, isn't it? The Lord pours out his heart, not only to His disciples, but more importantly, before His Father. He does not pretend that the task in front of Him later that day was a fun one. He does not pretend like He was manly enough to face it on His own, but pours out His troubles and His fears and His anxieties before His Father in Heaven. We spend much too much time in our lives Pretending, don't we? So much of the way that we view one another is based on our words and actions and we know that. We know that in our sinfulness we often look down on others because of the things that they say and because of that we try hard to put masks on ourselves so that others will think better of, our, of us. We spend so much of our life pretending and putting masks on ourselves that prayer is By far the one time we should not pretend, but bear our souls before our Father. Trying to put a mask over our sins or over our thoughts isn't going to do any good and also is unnecessary. The the way that others define and think of us is often based on our actions and often, therefore, based on our sins and the sins that they see in our lives. But our standing before God is not defined. Who we are is not defined by our words and actions before God. Who we are before God is defined by who Christ was and what he did for us. We are defined by our baptism in which we became children of God and were washed of our sins and by the holes in Jesus' hands which purged us of our sins. And so there is no need to pretend and it's not going to do any good anyway. So when we come before God in prayer, we should dispense with the attempts to hide our sins or our anxieties or our worries or anything else and simply confess to Christ And to God, all that we are and all that we fear, knowing that our good and gracious Heavenly Father forgives us for Jesus' sake and wants to help us in every way. We return to the Lord with open hearts. Verses 40 and 41. Then he came to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Most of us can probably sympathize a lot with Peter and James and John in this account. We probably would fall asleep as well. We probably have trouble staying awake for the five minutes we pray together as a congregation here in church, much less for a whole hour. And Jesus, on the one hand, is looking for fellowship. He's looking for comfort from his disciples as he's about to face a rather difficult ordeal. But on the other hand, he also knows the temptation. He knows the the difficulties that the disciples are going to have to face, and he's encouraging them for their own sake to pray and to be ready because Jesus knows what's coming. Now, Jesus' words here probably don't sound like all that big of a deal to the disciples. They probably don't sound like it's really imminent danger. I remember uh, two days before Kaylee was born, uh, Vanessa and I went to the doctor for for a checkup, and the doctor was concerned because the amniotic fluid was quite low. And he suggested that maybe... Uh, Vanessa should be induced that night. But the doctor said it in such a low-key, calm manner that it just gave the impression to Vanessa and I that it's a little worrying, but not something that we really have to take care of right now. Maybe we could wait a day or two. And so we, we did wait another day. We found out later that actually it was quite dangerous and that the doctor was simply trying to speak very calmly so as not to, overly alarm us. Jesus often speaks to us in just such a manner. He speaks to us very calmly, very lovingly, as we see in this verse, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And because he speaks to us in such a calm and and loving manner, we sometimes mistake his words and think that, well, yeah, that's something that we should do, but it's not imminent. I can sleep tonight. I can Pray tomorrow. Peter, James, and John certainly seem to have taken Jesus' words that way. Like, okay, prayer is good, but it's not imminent danger. We, of course, know the truth. How quickly and how soon that temptation would come upon the disciples and how badly they would fail and fall. God told Cain, remember way back in Genesis, Sin is lurking at the door, waiting to pounce on you. We have a a tendency to think that temptation isn't that big of a deal, that we're doing just fine, that it's not something we really need to worry about. But God shows us the truth in this passage, as, as well as in many other passages of Scripture, how dangerous it is. How quickly our life as a Christian, our marriage, and so many other parts of our life can fall apart. How quickly we can fall deeply into temptation. And so his words here are very urgent. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Christ's manner of speaking to us in love does sometimes leave us with the impression that it's not really that big of a deal. But of course, nothing could be further from the truth. The piles of stress and anxiety, the inability to see the path clearly before us, and above all, the very real danger and threat of temptation that lurks at the door like that, that lion the Scripture talks about makes an active prayer life so important. And so again, the Scriptures encourages us to return to prayer, return to the Lord through prayer, so that we may be strengthened against those temptations of our life. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, our flesh, is weak, isn't it? And so we do need this constant reminder from Scripture. Verse 42. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. One of the hardest parts of prayer is learning to say your will be done to our Father in Heaven. We really don't like to say your will be done. We'd really much rather say my will be done. We're glad for your help, God, but do it my way and give me what I want. On the one hand, we don't really want God's will done in our lives. We'd much rather have our will done. On the other hand, if God is going to do His will anyway, we might think, what's the big deal? What's the point in prayer if God's just going to do His will whether I pray or not? My prayer is not going to change God's mind. My prayer is not going to affect things that much. We might as well not bother because God is going to do His will anyway. But thinking that way just shows how sinful our view of prayer really is, doesn't it? Because the purpose of prayer is not to bring a list of things we want before God. Prayer isn't meant to be a shopping trip. We go and fulfill our list and get what we want and and then we're done. The purpose of prayer is to spend time with our Heavenly Father, to reveal our hearts to Him as we talked about before, and to receive the comfort that He is there to offer. In our text, Jesus doesn't pray because He doesn't know what the right thing to do is, or because He wants a new house or some other earthly thing. He comes to the Father in prayer because He's deeply deeply troubled and he needs somebody to talk to and share that anxiety with and to receive from his father the peace and the comfort that we god has promised us in prayer verses 44 to 45 so he left them went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words then he came to his disciples and said to them are you still sleeping and resting Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. This reading, as well as many others in the Scripture, does show us just how far short of the ideal we have fallen. It reveals to us uh, how much we could learn and how much better we can be at prayer. But if the story of Jesus in the garden shows us our feelings, our Old Testament reading, the story of Jacob wrestling with God, shows us the abundance of God's grace, doesn't it? We often call it Jacob wrestles with God, or refers to it as the, the account of Jacob wrestling with God. But remember, who wrestled with whom? It was not Jacob who wrestled with God, but God who wrestled with Jacob. It was not Jacob who went to find God, but God who came to find Jacob. And wasn't just wrestling with him that one night, but was in fact wrestling with him his whole life. Jacob was bound and determined for most of his life to go his own way and to take care of things himself. And it was God who had to come to him again and again and wrestle with Jacob to pull him back into the way of God. Similarly, in our text as well, we see that grace of God that here Jesus Goes back to his disciples. Here he is, so anxious, so worried that he's sweating blood, and yet he stops to take time to go back and check on the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. He does that because he's worried about them. He does that in order to encourage them also to pray, as we talked about before, because he knows the temptation that waits. For them, In His grace, He goes to find them. God wrestles with us in our life too, doesn't He? Calling us back time and time again. Calling us back to Him. Calling us back to that prayer life that is so important for us when we fail and wander astray. But even more important than that, God fills in the gaps in our life. When we fail in our life, God fills in our failure so that we do have a good prayer life before our Father. Remember from Romans, from our epistle reading from Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Yes, our our prayer life does indeed fall very much short of the ideal that we see in Christ and what it ought to be. and We therefore are, if left to ourselves, open to Satan and the temptations uh, which he brings before us, that roaring lion that seeks to destroy us. But the Spirit and Christ in grace and mercy fill in those gaps so that we can stand secure in faith and love before Him all of our days. And when we know that we have failed, we know also of His forgiveness. Think of a parent and a child, right? Especially a a teenage child. Who is it that makes the effort to, to reach out? The parent or the child? usually not so much the teenagers that make the effort to to reach out and share their lives with their parents it's usually the parents who have to make the effort right and the same thing is true with our heavenly father in our sinfulness we often are too concerned about other things god makes is the one who makes that effort who comes to wrestle with us and to bring us constantly back to Him and to assure us of that forgiveness and that love in Christ. To fill in those gaps in our life and especially our prayer life and to encourage us to return to the Lord and to return to prayer. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.